great to be able to join you in that. Great to be with you as well to open the Bible. And we're coming to a really uh, important part of, of Matthew's Gospel. We're in chapter 24 today and we're going to read uh, the first 31 verses uh, of this chapter. I think it's, it's really important whenever we come to, uh, whenever we come to a part of, of, of a book, book like Matthew that we ask ourselves the question, why have these events, why have these sayings been recorded? Now you'll know that, that Matthew, Mark, Luke and John are all accounts of the life and death of the Lord Jesus. And they gather together many of the things that Jesus did and said while he was here. Everything that's recorded is recorded for a reason. Matthew didn't just sling all of these uh, all of these words in just because the Lord Jesus said them. He's he's recording them for a reason, and he's bringing them to us for a reason. And therefore, we have to ask ourselves, well, what is the reason? Matthew wants us to respond to what the Lord Jesus is saying and doing. And as we think about these words uh, this morning, keep that in your mind. That we should respond to what the Lord Jesus is saying in these verses. These verses are all about his coming. Uh, We learn that at at the start. Um, It's all about the coming of the Lord Jesus. The disciples want to know when that will be. That's the question at the end of chapter 23. They want to know how will we know when it's time for the Lord Jesus to come and to come as the king in in glory and power. And these verses are answering that question. But the challenge really that comes to us out of these verses is are we ready? Because these events are still future. The coming of the Lord Jesus in this way is still future but the question that we have to ask ourselves is are we ready for that day when he comes now let's read these verses together uh, from verse 1 of of chapter 24 through to verse 31 Uh, now remember just in in chapter 23 that um, the people by and large have rejected the Lord Jesus And at the end of chapter 23, he says, You will not see me until you say, Blessed is he that comes in the day of the Lord, in the name of the Lord. Uh, So the people had rejected the Lord Jesus. The Lord Jesus says, You're not going to see me until I come in in a very clear and public way as the king. And that's what we have in in chapter 24. Jesus went out and departed from the temple and his disciples came to him for to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said to them, See ye not all these things? Verily I say unto you, There shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, when shall these things be? What shall be the sign of your coming? And of the end of the world, or really it's the end of the age. It's the idea that when the Lord comes in this this public and powerful way, it will bring in a new age. Everything will change when he comes. 
uh, as the king. And Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you, for many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. And you shall hear of wars and rumours of wars. See that you be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in diverse places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Then they shall deliver you up to be afflicted, and shall kill you. And you shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. And then shall many be offended, and shall betray one another, and shall hate one another. And many false prophets shall rise, and shall deceive many. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness to all nations. And then shall the end come. When you therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place, whoso reads let him understand, then let them which be in Judea flee into the mountains. Let him which is on the housetop not come down to take anything out of his house, neither let him that is in the field return back to take his clothes. And woe unto them that are with child, and to them that give suck in those days. Pray ye that your flight be not in the winter, neither on the Sabbath day, for then shall be great tribulation, or great trouble, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time. No, nor ever shall be. And except those days should be shortened, there should no flesh be saved, but for the elect's sake those days shall be shortened. Then if any man shall say unto you, Lo, here is Christ, or there, believe it not. For there shall arise false Christs and false prophets, and shall show great signs and wonders, insomuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. Behold, I have told you before, wherefore if they say unto you, Behold, he is in the desert, go not forth. Behold, he is in the secret chambers, believe it not. For as the lightning comes out of the east and shines even unto the west, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. In other words, it will be unmistakable. He's telling them. Verse 28. For wheresoever the carcass is, there will the eagles be gathered together. Immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened and the moon shall not give her light and the stars shall fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens shall be shaken. And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven and then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn. And they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet. And they shall gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. And that's where we will stop today. Now as we've read these verses, it's important to realise just how shocked the disciples would have been when they heard what the Lord had to say. They asked him, when... Are you going to come as the king? As the victorious, powerful one? 
who sets up a kingdom and changes everything. A kingdom that will be centred on Jerusalem but will reach across the whole world. Now that was a hope that they had which was written into the Old Testament. And from the very early days uh, of of uh, the Lord's ministry the disciples were asking him when are you going to set up your kingdom because they were trained to expect that from the Old Testament that's what they looked for that's what they hoped for that's what they were excited about that here was one who had come as king who was going to change everything and in these verses the Lord tells them that they're absolutely right to expect that And he is going to come in such a way. When he comes in this way it will be unmistakable. You know it will be preceded by by deception. Uh, Many uh, people who will claim to, to come with the ability to answer all of mankind's problems. But when the Lord Jesus comes we'll know about it. The whole world will know. It will be unmistakable. He will come in power and glory. And the consequences and the effects of that coming will be seen on a grand scale. So the Lord tells them they're absolutely right to expect this. But it's not going to happen when they expected it to happen. And that's the point of of these verses. Before that day comes, there's a whole lot of stuff that has to happen first. And that's what he's telling them in these, in these verses. And that's what was so difficult for them to understand. Because the king was there. The king was in front of them. Why was he not going to set up his kingdom? Why was he not going to solve the problems of the world in which they were living? One of the most immediate problems was that the Romans were an occupying power in the land. And the Israelites were under the thumb of Rome. And the disciples wanted deliverance along with all the people in Israel in that day. And they wanted their king to deliver them, to set them free. You know, that's been a very very basic longing um, of of people down through the centuries. Those who have been oppressed. Those who have have found themselves in difficulty, longing for deliverance. And that's exactly where the disciples were, and and where so many in in, in the nation of Israel were. They wanted one who would deliver them, who would come in power and in great strength. And they couldn't understand, why was the Lord Jesus not going to do this? Now, um, you get the idea as, as you move through Matthew that they're getting quite impatient. And they're saying, well, are you not going to get on with it, Lord? I mean... I mean, I, I know you know what you're doing, but could it not be now? Could we not, could we not hurry this up? But the Lord Jesus tells them in these verses that there's a great deal that needs to happen first. And in order to understand that, we need to go back a little bit and we need to, to understand where we are in, in the book of, of Matthew. Um, we have to remember that, that in the very opening uh, verses of the book of Matthew uh, we have the introduction of the king and the king is the one who has been promised in the Old Testament there are so many prophecies that were written about him that pointed forward to that day when he would come and whenever you open uh, Matthew whenever you read those first verses 
the promised one is identified. He's identified as the son of Abraham and the son of David. The one to whom the promises were given. He is their son. And he is the one who comes in fulfilment of the promises that have been given. And whenever you you read through Matthew, you, you find that the credentials of the king are presented to us. It's not only the fact that he's descended from Abraham and David. That was, that was promised. But he comes as one who is unique. He's unlike any who has ever come before. And therefore you read in those opening chapters about how he's tested in such a unique and intense way. He's taken into the desert and he's, he's, he's tested by Satan himself. And where every other man would have failed... He stands firm. He cannot be. Uh, he cannot be made to fall. His credentials are made clear. But not only his not only, not only his credentials, but his but his manifesto is is set forth. Um, you, you could use that word. Uh, we're living through a time of great political turmoil and. Uh, one of the things, one of the big questions uh, that, that's on the news continually is who's going to be our next Prime Minister and as individuals set themselves put themselves forward for that role, they bring with them a manifesto a plan for what they're going to put in place, how they're going to lead and again you get that with the Lord Jesus whenever you come to the, the Sermon on the Mount it's really his manifesto it's the standards that he will bring in. And, and we find that, that here is one who is going to, to rule and reign with perfect righteousness. In a way that's never been seen before. He's going to bring in perfect standards. And in comparison to those perfect standards, as you read through Matthew, you find that those around him are riddled with corruption. Even the religious people of the day are riddled with corruption. You and I are riddled with corruption. But the king is going to come and is going to rule and reign in perfect righteousness. He should have been accepted with open arms. But instead we find in Matthew that he's rejected. And there's a heavy irony there. Because he comes as the hope of all people. He comes as the one who can deliver. But he's rejected. And we learn something in in Matthew's gospel about the nature of humanity. And the nature of something called sin. Because it's, it's not just that we fall short of God's standard but it's that we're actively opposed to God and to his standards and that's what you find in in the book of Matthew that actually the majority of the people who encounter him reject him they don't want him and therefore there's a there's a, a, a deep deep issue which becomes very very apparent as you read through Matthew's gospel and the question 
really that we're meant to ask is how can this ever be resolved? Well, we're going to find out. And we're going to find out in uh, in a number of ways. We're going to find that we're going to find that the sinful desires of of these people who rejected the king are allowed to be carried to their ultimate conclusion. And in the short term, that's going to mean the crucifixion and death of the Lord Jesus. The Bible tells us that the crucifixion and death of the Lord Jesus was always the plan of God. However, it's also an expression of how wicked mankind is. Because here presented with the perfect man, the perfect king, the one who they should have turned to, they reject him. And they crucify him. Such a brutal, barbaric death. But it's it's just the outworking of their sinful rebellion. And you know something, we can't uh, we can't stand afar off as observers and say how terrible were these people in this city? Because they're no different to you and I. The Bible makes that very clear elsewhere. That all of us are sinners. And although it was in it was this particular people in this particular place at this particular point in history, they're just a representative of all of us. And they're a they're a, a representative of, of what's in all of our hearts. The wickedness, the pride, the self-righteousness that doesn't want the one that we need. So it leads to uh, the, the death and the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus. And what the Lord is telling us in, in Matthew chapter 24 is that same wickedness is going to run on beyond uh, the, the cross which we'll read about in the next few chapters beyond that there will be a period of ongoing rejection where the Lord Jesus will be hated and those who follow him will be hated and will be rejected and it will actually reach a, a climax when, when the wickedness of humanity is seen most clearly and that, that day is still future and that's what we've been reading about in these, in these opening verses. We'll find out what happens when restraint is removed. And human beings get their way and wickedness is allowed to run wild upon the earth. And it's very, it's very sobering, it's very concerning as we, as we read these verses. And recognise that they, they speak of a future day. You know, we've, we've seen uh, great wickedness and great pain in the last hundred years you look back on world wars you look back on on massive loss of life and immense suffering caused by the wickedness of mankind and yet we read in these verses that there's a day coming when events will take place which will surpass even the events of the last hundred years Never before in the history of the world will such uh, will such events 
have taken place. So it's a dark picture, and we have to recognise that as we come to, to Matthew 24. But there is hope. Wonderfully, there is hope. Because in the rejection of Christ at the cross, uh, which, will, which will take place very shortly, God is providing a way of salvation and of rescue. Because the cross is not just about the wickedness of, of men and women, it's also about God's salvation. That he's providing a way that sins can be forgiven and, and the Lord Jesus was providing a sacrifice, a substitutionary sacrifice at the cross in order that those who repent and turn to him can have their sins forgiven. And similarly, uh, we're reading about these, these great and terrible events but they're leading up to a time of deliverance. A time when the king will return and when all those who have turned to him in faith will be rescued and will be delivered. So there is hope that is held up before us in these, in these verses. And we're learning here as well that, that the coming of Christ is in two stages. And the Old Testament talks about how he would come to suffer. Look at passages like Isaiah 53. It's very clear that, that the, the Messiah would be one who suffers. But he was also coming to reign. There's two stages. He came once the first time. He's gone back to heaven. But he will come again. And he will rule and he will reign. And it's on the basis of the work that he has done at the cross. Now let's have a look at these these verses. Uh, we don't have we don't have a lot of time, and there's a huge amount uh, in them. But they begin uh, with this discussion about the temple, and you might ask, why are we talking about the temple? Well, the the disciples uh, were very were very proud of the temple. Uh, it was the centre of religious life in Jerusalem. God had given the temple in the Old Testament and it was intended to enable people to come to and to worship God. It was a good thing. But the point that we have to understand here is that the people by and large had rejected the Lord Jesus. He was the Lord of the temple. He was the one that the temple was meant to point them to. They had rejected him. And yet they were clinging to the temple. You know, that just, that's just a picture of empty religion. And it's a, it's a picture of what we have a tendency to do. We cling to empty religion. Which can provide us with, with, with some sense of respectability. With some sense that we're earning God's favour. And that we're okay with him. The Lord Jesus tells his disciples, this is going to be destroyed. The temple in itself is nothing. And it will be destroyed as a token of that. What you need to get to is the God behind the temple. The Lord Jesus Christ. And that's a basic lesson for all of us. Uh, we have a tendency to trust in empty religion. But the Bible continually points us to the person of the Lord Jesus. Who is the one that we need. He is the saviour. Uh, he is the one that we need. And then from, from verse 3 uh, through to verse 14, 
Uh, the Lord Jesus is answering this question of the disciples. So they gather around him on the Mount of Olives and they ask him, when shall these things be? What shall be the sign of your coming and of the completion of the age? So these two things are, are, are brought together. Uh, the disciples recognize that when the Lord comes in power, it will bring in a new age, a kingdom age. An age which is unlike anything that the world has ever seen before. There are descriptions of it in the Old Testament and they are wonderful. They talk about uh, peace. Weapons of war being decommissioned because they're no longer needed. There will be no bloodshed, there will be no violence, there will be no lying. There will be equity and justice. Even in the animal kingdom those animals which are, which are a danger to us at the moment will no longer pose a threat. There will be perfect conditions upon earth. And it will all be because of the one who rules on that day. The Lord Jesus Christ. God's man. God's king. On that future day. And the disciples recognise that when, he, when the Lord comes in that way, everything will change. So the Lord answers their question in the in the following verses, and to, to give it to you in a nutshell, he, he's he's telling them that there's a lot of stuff that's still to happen before the kingdom, before he comes in power and glory, and much of what is to happen is not particularly good. The Bible calls it the period of the tribulation, and there's other uh, there's other parts of the Bible that speak about it in detail but Matthew 24 is is quite helpful because it it sets it out in in order Uh, the tribulation we learn elsewhere in in the Bible is a period of seven years it's a time of trouble it's a time of difficulty which is unlike anything that the world has ever seen before it's divided in two halves the the beginning of sorrows uh, in verse 8 it's called which is a time of of general trouble and unrest and difficulty and there's there's a few features uh, of that which which we can pick out in a minute or two uh, but then at, at the midpoint it's going to escalate and in verse 15 we read about that escalation and from that midpoint the last three and a half years are going to be a period of severe difficulty and suffering And they will come to a conclusion, to an end, whenever the Lord Jesus returns in power and majesty. Let's just pick out a few of the details uh, that the Lord shares with his disciples. So so first of all, the the beginning of sorrows from verse uh, 5 through to verse 14. So there's three things really in this period. There's going to be religious deception, human aggression... And natural destruction, religious uh, deception. So there will be many who come uh, claiming to be the answer to all of mankind's needs. Uh, they will come impersonating Christ. Now, whether they actually take His name or not, there's been many that that have taken the name of, of Messiah. Uh, down through the, the centuries and have claimed to be uh, Christ returned uh, once again they've all, been, they've all been counterfeits but it could also be in the more general sense of, of p- 
people who set them up as the deliverers the ones who are able to answer all of mankind's problems and it's interesting that as we've, we've come into a period of, of extreme concern about the climate and the environment that you've got people coming onto the world stage and almost being healed as a messiah as one who is able to deal with the, the, the grave dangers that are facing mankind and you've got the, the Greta Thunbergs and the David Attenboroughs of the world that are almost given that Messiah status and especially in a especially in a world of so much media frenzy as well you can see how uh, how this, this kind of thing could increasingly happen men will be looking for hope is the point Men will be looking for hope. And they will look to people who are who are false. People who who cannot give them true and genuine hope. And it's a sad it's a sad state of affairs, actually, because because when the Lord came, the true king, the one who has the ability to uh, to, 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 to deal with the problems that, that face us the problem of sin and everything else that comes uh, in connection with that he was rejected but remember he said I have come in my father's name and I was rejected others will come in their own name and they will be accepted and that again is just a sad reflection of the human heart that will turn to anyone in anything apart from God in heaven so there's religious deception there's also human aggression look at the the, uh, the language of these verses it speaks of wars and, and rumours of wars people will not uh, will not live in safety and security nations will rise against nations kingdoms against kingdoms and there will be there will be conflict Um. If you look down a, a little bit further, it speaks of, of, of persecution and hatred as well, uh, especially of Christians. Um, but you've got this idea of, a, of, of, of people who are just polarised and set against each other. And again, it's something that you see, isn't it? Um, politics has become ever more polarised, especially in America over the last... Uh, number of years, but you can you can see that, and, and the, you can see what, what what's happening as well with um, a lot of debate on on the internet and on social media becomes increasingly intolerant and becomes increasingly polarized, and the aggression and the hatred uh, seems to be increasing rather than decreasing. Well, the Lord says that this will be a time when when human aggression will increase, and particularly against those who speak the truth there will be intolerance and there will be hatred and verse 12 is a, is a really sad verse about the, one of the effects of sin is that love and affection will decrease and, uh, and people will grow cold and as a result of that aggression and, uh, and violence will, will increase and then you've also got this idea of, of natural destruction that, that not only are, are human beings wreaking havoc 
that's the primary picture but also the planet is shuddering and suffering there's famine and there's earthquakes and so on uh, which take place and those are the three features really of of the of the beginning of the tribulation but then you come in verse 15 to this point of crisis and this takes place we know from other scriptures in the middle of the the seven year period that there's this significant moment in verse 15 it's spoken of as the abomination of desolation predicted before by Daniel the prophet now what is that? well the answer is that we don't know exactly we don't know exactly what this is but it's it's an incredibly significant moment that takes place we know that it is a it is an act of defiance against God in heaven it seems to involve the temple so this is this is before the temple is destroyed uh, the Lord Jesus predicted that in uh, in in the start of the chapter the temple was actually destroyed in AD 70 but but other passages in scripture make very clear that before these events take place the temple will be rebuilt um, and in the temple will take place an act of defiance against God in heaven that is incredibly significant which, which shows that men on earth are not just living in darkness and ignorance but they're living in deliberate defiance against God in heaven and that will mark a, a turning point in, in, in this period called the tribulation and, and what the Lord what the Lord tells us in these verses is that if you see that you've got to run because the events you think, what, you think what's already unfolded is bad, the events that are coming are much much worse serious and sobering verses it's a period of great tribulation Uh, it's a period which unless it was shortened in verse 22 nobody would be saved out of it but God in his in his sovereignty and in his grace will limit it to a short period the difficulties that we've already spoken of will be continued the religious deception, the, the human aggression and the natural destruction but there's another dimension that comes in uh, really from verse 29 is the idea of, of divine intervention that actually God is getting involved and God is acting in judgment because that's also what these what this period is about it's partly about showing what the wickedness of man leads to when God takes away restraint when man is allowed to do what he wants to do this is what happens but it's also about judgment that God is judging the wickedness of man and that's what we get in verse 29 You've this idea about the sun being darkened the moon being darkened the stars falling from heaven you read the book of the Revelation that gives you a lot of expansion on, on what is going to happen in these days and it will be fearful it will be terrifying but it is the action of a righteous God in response to sin now that's serious 
it's a serious matter, but it's, it's one that the, the Bible brings to us. That God in his righteousness must judge sin. Now remember that he's provided a way of salvation. Never forget that. God's judgment is not vengeful or vindictive. His judgment is righteous. And he does so reluctantly. After providing a saviour, after providing a way of escape. But the point is in these verses that men don't want that. Even in times of need, many will raise their fist against God. Now some will turn. And the verses speak of of the elect. They speak of of those who even in these difficult times will recognise that you know what, there's a God in heaven. That I've rebelled against. And they will repent. And they will turn to God. And they'll be saved. And the, the later verses tell us that they will be delivered when the Lord comes in glory. It won't be fearful for them. He'll come as a deliverer. But for those who defy him, the Lord will come in power. They will not escape his judgment on that future day. And that's where we come to in verse 30. That at this climax, at this fearful climax of the the tribulation, we read about the, the appearing of the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. This is something that the whole world will see. They'll all stop. They'll look and they will see him when he comes in the clouds of heaven with power and with great glory. That's what the Bible declares will happen. That is the day those of us who are trusting him That's the day that we look for. Because it's the day when he will receive the place that he deserves. And it's the day when he will come to put all things to rights. Look at the wreckage and the destruction that man has caused on the earth. And here is the one who comes as the king. It all belongs to him. And he has the right and he has the authority and he has the ability to set everything to rights. And to bring about conditions on earth that have never been seen before. Idyllic and perfect. The Bible speaks of them as a day when righteousness will dwell and righteousness will reign upon the earth. Never a day like it. And he will come to bring it about. But sadly, tragically, there will be many on that day when even at this point of extremity, even at this point of danger, They persist in their rebellion. They persist in their defiance. And even when they see him, look at the response, they'll mourn. They don't want him. You know, that's what it comes comes down to. It really is our response to the Lord Jesus. The heart of man... In sin can be so hard. Even in the face of evidence. Even in the face of love and grace. Many don't want him. 
question that we have to ask ourselves today is what is my response to him will I receive him it takes humility to recognise that I'm a sinner to recognise I can't help myself to recognise that I need him but what a blessed and what a wonderful thing it is to put your faith and trust in him it means that you have nothing to fear from the events that will unfold upon the earth because he will deliver his own he is a man but he's also so much more than a man he's the one who has paid the price for sin he died on the cross he rose again and he's able to save and deliver all who come to God through him just in straightforward faith (coughs) receiving him for who he is trusting him and depending upon him and it means that we'll be ready and we need not fear that future day that is coming upon the earth it's a difficult passage but it's a very direct passage the Lord Jesus doesn't hide from us what's coming but he he has spoken these words in order that we might respond and that we might find ourselves ready through his grace let's close in prayer our great God and our Father we Uh, are so thankful that as we come to a very difficult part of of the Bible uh, we can do so uh, recognising that our God is in control and that the Lord Jesus Christ is in control and we know that he is working for good Uh, we are thankful for that which he will bring about upon the earth and we're thankful Father for the great price that he paid in order to accomplish this he gave himself He became a sacrifice in order that we might be rescued and redeemed. Father, as we think of of subjects such as, as the judgment of God, help us to think rightly about them. Help us to uh, evaluate our our own hearts and uh, the, the sin that we find in them. Help us to evaluate these things rightly. Help us to realise how significant and serious it is to act against God in heaven. Help us to recognise the the guilt that we bear. And help us to recognise that that a just and a holy God must punish sin. But we are thankful for one, the Lord Jesus, who is the deliverer and the saviour of all who come to him. Help us to do so, we pray. For those who who are trusting in him we pray for help to, uh, to uh, rest in that knowledge. But help us also to tell others with urgency that they too might be ready. So Father we pray a blessing upon all, who, all those who are here. Uh, we're thankful that everyone is known and loved of God. And we pray that each one might come to the Saviour and be ready for that day when he comes. We ask all these things. In Jesus' name, amen.